passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. If you have a Bible, I invite you to go ahead and open up to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 8 through 13 this morning. As you're doing that, uh, I just want to share a, a bit with you about what is probably Crystal's greatest frustration with me, uh, and that is my inability to remember things, all right? Uh, now, thankfully, I can remember uh, big things, like her birthday is coming up later this week. Uh, I might have forgotten that it was Valentine's Day until yesterday, but I, I did remember that one. But I'm convinced, at least partially convinced, that uh, on, on Crystal's employment section on um, Facebook, she needs to update that to, say, Jordan's part-time or maybe even full-time glasses finder. Uh, I lose them all the time, especially with masks and, and just how hard it is to, to keep track of them. So this morning I woke up, prime example, uh, I woke up before Crystal was up and uh, was going to be out, out of the house and I knew that I was going to talk about my inability to find glasses and, and I always misplace them. And uh, sure enough, it's, it's 4.30 in the morning and I cannot find them. I'm like, do I wake her up? No, I, I refuse to, to, to wake my wife up because I'm going to be talking about this later today, and today is not going to be one of those times where I lose my glasses. So I find them, get out the door. Uh, I never go home in between when I come to the office and then before our services start. Well, today I did, brought my glasses home and left them at home. And so I needed her to bring them here, and uh, it just, of course, the perfect, perfect storm. Uh, now, I guess, uh, I would guess that, that losing track of things probably isn't just something that I struggle with. All of us may have uh, a challenge uh, remembering certain things, especially small things, especially when we have lots of things on our plate. And while forgetting my glasses is a relatively minor thing, it's certainly not the only thing that I forget. Uh, infinitely more concerning to me is my tendency to forget the gospel my tendency to forget the gospel. And I, when I say that, I don't mean the, uh, this, this sense of, of me forgetting what happens thousands of years ago, forgetting the story of, of Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection, his glorious ascension. That's, that's not what I'm referring to. Instead, I, I'm saying that I have a tendency, and I think many of us can say the same, I have a tendency to forget the gospel as the thing that should influence my entire life. But I have a tendency to not keep the gospel at the forefront of my mind and, and be the lens through which I interpret and see all of life. And again, I would guess that I'm, I'm not the only person who feels that way. One of my favorite hymns, Come Thou Fount, puts it this way, gets at this heart's tendency to forget the gospel. The author says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We have a tendency to forget the gospel. That's why one of the longest songs in the Bible, Psalm 78, is all about God reminding Israel of what they have received from him, what he has done for them in the past. They may have known the stories of the exodus, of God's provision throughout the wilderness, throughout their history, but it was not ever before them. It wasn't something that was constantly before them, something that, that influenced their entire way of thinking and acting and being. So Psalm 78 says this, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Things that have, we have heard and, and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. 
he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Throughout this psalm, over and over and over again, we see not just this charge to remember, but also what happens when we don't remember what God has done for us and when we don't live in light of the reality of what God has done for us. So a few verses later, 10 and 11, they did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. Why? They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Several verses later, 41 and 42, they tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. Why? They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. The people of God need constant reminders of what God has done for them so that they can live in light of what God has done for them. We need constant reminders, not just of the, of the story of the gospel in this theoretical way, but really the, the story of the gospel in a way that transforms the way that we work, the way that we interact with our neighbors, the way that we go to school, the way that we parent, the way that we interact with our spouses, the way that we listen to our parents if we are children, the way that we interact with friends, family, and on and on and on. We need the gospel ever before us to transform the way that we look at life. And that's what this morning's text is all about. It's, if you uh, see the sermon title, it's not terribly surprising. This is a continuation of last week. Last week was this charge from the Apostle Paul to Timothy near the end of Paul's life to endure, especially when hardship comes, to be faithful to the gospel, even if that means enduring suffering. And Paul says it will mean enduring hardship and suffering. Last week was this rallying call to faithful endurance, and this week we see the how. And it's just simply by remembering Jesus. And so as we work our way through this text, I really want us to, to just latch on to that truth, that to faithfully endure is to remember Jesus. In fact, faithful endurance comes through remembering Jesus. Endurance in life, endurance in ministry, perseverance, being faithful to the end, as our sermon series is called, comes through remembering Jesus. But what, what exactly does this mean? Paul gives us three truths to bring to mind on a regular basis, uh, uh, on every single day, to bring to our minds to remember Jesus. So we're going to look at each of those in turn. If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to read all of our texts this morning, starting in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. So please follow along as I read aloud. Remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also may attain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray as we uh, jump into God's word. 
Father, it is our earnest desire to remember Jesus, and we ask that you would help us through your Spirit this morning to continually bring to mind the gospel, that we would continually remember what you have done for those who believe, that from this place of remembrance, God, that you would help us to see our entire lives transformed by the power of the gospel. And God, this morning we ask that you would speak to us so that you, through your spirit, might transform our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I mentioned three texts, uh, three truths here in this text that we have to continually bring to mind in our pursuit of faithful endurance in life and ministry. The first is probably the easiest to remember, uh, verse 8. It is simply this, to remember Jesus. Verse 8, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So here is Paul, and he's telling Timothy that if you want to endure, if you want to persevere, if you want to be faithful, then you have to fix your gaze upon Jesus. You have to let the reality of your life be focused on who he is and on what he has done for you. Not just something that is a part of your, your weekends or, or something that is a part of, of what you say before a meal, but instead that your entire life has to be saturated with the reality of who Jesus is and the reality of what Jesus has done for us. Paul shares this commitment at the heart level. And he says that this is the, the heart of the, the gospel that I have been preaching for decades. That's what he says at the end of verse 8. Now, notice he, he brings up two halves of this reality. When he says we have to remember Jesus Christ, he, he mentions two things. First, he mentions the resurrection. He mentions Jesus' victory over death at his resurrection. That the death of Jesus is not the end of the story, that death doesn't have the final say for three days after Jesus' death. After that, Jesus rises again victorious. And this is a part of the gospel story. There's, there's no gospel without it. But, but, but Paul's context here is important for us to bear in mind. Here is Paul. He is writing to encourage Timothy and us to endure in the midst of suffering for commitment to Jesus. And how does remembering the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, how does keeping our eyes focused on that, how does that help us to endure right now? Well, isn't it because our own resurrection is tied so closely to the resurrection of Jesus? Paul is, is talking about Jesus' resurrection in 1 Corinthians, and he says that our resurrection is inseparably tied and linked to Jesus' resurrection. Writing to the church in Corinth, he says this, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. The resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of the people of God, they're a package deal. You can't separate the two of them. Jesus' victory over death at his resurrection is the guarantee, it is the proving point that he has the power to save us from death as well. And Paul actually goes even further a few verses later in 1 Corinthians. He says this, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
That last phrase, that last verse, particularly powerful considering Paul's current situation. He's, he's writing from prison. He's facing death for the sake of Jesus. And if you were to ask Paul, is this worth it? Paul would answer, well, not if the resurrection is a hoax. Not if the resurrection of Jesus doesn't guarantee that I also will be resurrected from the dead. But Paul also says the resurrection is not a hoax. It is guaranteed for those who are found in Jesus. And so Paul tells Timothy, you have to remember Jesus. You have to keep him before you, ever before you. Remember his resurrection. Remember his victory over the power of death and how that victory over his death guarantees your own victory over death if you are found in Jesus. Remember the power of Jesus' resurrection. He goes on. He mentions Jesus' Davidic lineage. He says that Jesus is the son of David. Why is this so important? Well, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, King David rules over Israel, over God's people, and God has promised him. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promises him that one of his descendants will live on the throne forever over God's people. And over the following centuries, this promise that God had given to David, this promise of, of David's son, it grows. This expectation grows. And, and it begins, people begin to, to realize that not only will the son of David rule over Israel, but he will, he's going to right every wrong. All of the brokenness of the world will finally be fixed. That there's this forever kingdom that is one day coming when the son of David finally comes. That no nation, no opposition can ever hope to overcome him and his kingdom. This kingdom of David's son, the Messiah, soon becomes synonymous with this long-awaited kingdom of God, where everything wrong will be made right. And at long last, Jesus comes and, and he restores the, all of these hopes. He brings the fulfillment of all of these hopes. He's the, the long-awaited son of David, the one who's going to establish God's kingdom forever. And even in his earthly ministry, Jesus says that the kingdom of God has at long last arrived. The one who is going to make all things right has finally come on the scene. And again, do you see the tension that Paul is wrestling with right here? Because here is Paul, he's, he's facing death at the hands of this nation that is doing everything that it can to snuff out the kingdom of God. The nation of Rome sees itself as the ultimate kingdom, and any kingdom that would disobey Rome, that would, would have come against Rome, will be put to death. And here is, is Paul, and he's, he's seeing his circumstances where it seems like the kingdom of Rome is, is ruling and winning over the kingdom of God, and yet far from seeing his circumstances as overruling God's promise in the gospel, he recognizes that the kingdom of God is already here, and yet it's not fully here. The kingdom of God has come with Jesus, but yet it has not fully come. And so rather than, than doubting the lordship of Jesus the Messiah, Paul actually runs to it. He sees the reign of Jesus as something that is never in question. And Paul, as he is facing death, he recognizes that there is still a king who is seated on the throne. And one day his kingdom will be fully realized here on this earth. And so Paul starts this plea for perseverance for Timothy with his simple charge. He says, I want you to remember Jesus. 
I want you to remember Jesus' victory over the grave and his, his victorious resurrection. And I want you to remember who he is. He's the son of David. He's the one who at long last will bring God's forever kingdom. Remember Jesus Christ. So that's the first truth that Paul tells Timothy to, to latch onto if he is going to endure, if he's going to faithfully persevere. The second one uh, builds off of what he says at the end of verse 8. End of verse 8, he mentions this gospel that he has been proclaiming for decades. And the second truth is, is tied into the gospel. It's not just remember the gospel. Specifically, he says, I want you to remember the power of the gospel. I want you to remember the power of the gospel. Verses 9 and 10. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here we catch a little glimmer of the awful situation that the Apostle Paul is in at this moment. Paul says that his commitment to Jesus, his commitment to the gospel, has left him bound, chained as a criminal. And this word criminal is only used one other time in the Bible. That is in Luke chapter 23, when it's referring to the two people who are crucified on the left and the right of Jesus. This is someone who is an evildoer, someone who is condemned to death. And in the eyes of the Roman state, that is exactly what Paul is. He's an evildoer. He is worthy of death because of his commitment to Jesus, because of his unashamed commitment to tell people about the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And yet far from this discouragement, Paul remains confident that God is at work in spite of his own circumstances. Why? Because Paul knows that while he might be chained, the word of God will not be chained. This is a recurring theme throughout Paul's letters, actually just throughout Paul's ministry in general. Last summer, we went through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi through Philippians, and uh, it was written while Paul was imprisoned a different time, a couple years before 2 Timothy. And as he's writing to the church in Philippi, he actually says, you know, I've gotten this perspective, and I began to see that this is actually a good thing that I have become imprisoned because God is using my circumstances to spread the gospel in a way that he never would have otherwise. Philippians chapter 1 says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is, in, is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul is writing to this church in Philippi and what he says is that he now has this unique opportunity to share the gospel with people he would not have had access to otherwise. And by the end of Philippians, he actually says that there are people in Caesar's own household who have now come to faith in Jesus because of Paul's imprisonments. What's more, that not only is Paul spreading the gospel, but other people are seeing Paul in his circumstances, seeing Paul be faithful, and they say, you know what, if he's doing it, I can too. And the gospel, even though Paul is bound, even though Paul is chained, the gospel is not. But Paul doesn't just say, you know what, God is going to use my circumstances right here, right now, for me to share the gospel with people that I otherwise would not have been able to, to reach. 
Elsewhere in the New Testament, we see that not only is it for his imprisonment for those that are in his immediate context, but also throughout the ages and across the globe. The end of Acts, Acts chapter 28, ends this way. I love these two verses. Paul is imprisoned at the end of Acts. Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense. He's under house arrest at this moment. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. And the last two words of the book of Acts, while Paul is in prison, what does it say? He preaches the word of God with boldness and without hindrance. What a sharp contrast here. Paul is under house arrest, but Acts doesn't focus on that. Instead, it focuses on this proclamation of the kingdom of God, how the gospel is going forth, even in Paul's imprisonment. And it doesn't just stop with this immediate sphere, but actually God uses it to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul is the author of 13 of the 27 books we have in the New Testament. Of those 13, five were written while Paul was in prison. Well, Paul is sitting there and he might be wondering, what exactly is God going to do in my circumstances? How can I continue to be faithful even while I am chained? And he writes these letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, in our book here this morning, 2 Timothy. And God in his mysterious providence uses Paul's imprisonment for the sake of the gospel to spread across the earth, and for generations down to us this morning, God uses the gospel in a way that will never be chained, even if our circumstances feel like we are chained. If we are faithful to the gospel, then God will continue to be at work. That's exactly what Paul is saying in verse 10. It's his supreme confidence in the power of the gospel that keeps him faithful. Verse 10, I want to just read it to us again. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul has just said the word of God is not bound. Therefore, or in light of that, or because of that, I will endure anything so that the gospel may go forth. You may not be able to fathom how God can use your hardship, use your suffering if you are faithful in the midst of it, but don't for a second think that God cannot use it. Instead, call to mind the power of the gospel. Remember the power of the gospel. This past week, I, I was reading a, a commentary uh, in preparation for, for this text, and, and I, I read this powerful story about the power of the gospel uh, uh, during the, the fall of communism in, in Russia. So, 1930s, Stalin orders all of these Bibles to be gathered up, purged of all of, of the Bibles in, in Russia. And the city of, uh, of Starvopol, uh, the, the people did this with a vengeance. Thousands of, of Bibles are, are confiscated, and, and they were put into this warehouse on the outside of town. 
Now, after the fall of communism, over half a century later, there's this missionary organization, Commission, that they come in and, and they want to share the gospel. They want to bring uh, Bibles to uh, the people uh, of these different communities in Russia. And they, they have no context, no information uh, about what has taken place in this city. So they're having difficulties getting Bibles from Moscow uh, down to where they are located. And then someone from the community actually shares, hey, you know what, there's this warehouse on the outside of town that is filled with all of these Bibles that had been confiscated in the 1930s, over half a century earlier. And the missionaries, they begin to pray about it, and, and one of them is emboldened through, through the power of the Spirit, and he decides he's going to go ask the officials of this community uh, if the Bibles are still there. And so he comes up to them and says, hey, are, are there still Bibles in this warehouse on the outside of town? And not only does the, the official say yes, the official actually says, yeah, you can actually have them. So you can disseminate them to everyone that you want to give a Bible to. And so they recruit some of these local people to, to help pass out these Bibles, to, to get the Bibles from the warehouse into the community so they can begin to pass them out. One of the people that they hired was this person who was hostile to the gospel. Didn't really want anything to do with Christianity. Uh, really just wanted uh, to make some easy money by, uh, by using manual labor. At one point in this process, he disappears and everyone's wondering, where exactly is he? And then they find him with a Bible, crying. And they ask him, what's wrong? And he says that the Bible that he stole on the inside cover was the name of his grandma. It was confiscated when she was a little girl, over half a century earlier. And the one Bible that he steals is his grandma's. This person who had prayed for him for decades to leave behind this hostility toward the gospel and come to faith in him. The power of the gospel goes forth. The gospel can transform lives. And Paul is pleading with Timothy in the midst of these difficult circumstances. And he says, Paul, I want, or Timothy, I want you to remember Jesus and I want you to remember the power of of the gospel. He closes with one more charge. Not just to remember the power of the gospel, not just to remember Jesus, but also to remember the promises of Jesus. To remember the promises of Jesus in verses 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So here is Paul, and he's likely reciting a hymn, whether he wrote it or, or someone else wrote it. It's a, a hymn focused on the promises that Jesus has made to his people. Notice there's four stanzas, there's four lines here. We have to hold to them each tightly if we are going to endure. Let's look at each one briefly. Each of these is a promise that Jesus gives to his people. The first one is this, remember the promise of eternal life. Remember the promise of eternal life. Verse 11, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Now Paul isn't talking about martyrdom here. He's not saying, if you die for your faith, then you will live with Jesus. And that's true, but that's not all he is referring to here. He's actually using the past tense. He doesn't say, if you die for your faith or if you will die for your faith. 
He's saying, if you have died with Christ, then you will live with Christ. He's talking about conversion. He's saying, if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you have died to the old self, then you are promised eternal life. Elsewhere, Romans chapter 6, Paul says something very, very similar. He says this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we had been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is why baptism is such a powerful picture. It's because... While we don't believe that the act of baptism saves us, it is a symbolic act showing the power of God, that we have died, the old self has died with Christ, and we are raised to new life with Christ. It's a powerful act of God in our lives. We show the world what God has done in our hearts when we are baptized, that we have, been di- that we have died with him. And if we have died with him, we will also live with him. So Paul says, I want you to remember the promise of eternal life. He gives us a second promise. Remember the promise of eternal reward. The promise of eternal reward. Verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So here's this, this promise for Timothy. He wants to remind Timothy to, to be faithful, to endure hardship, because if you do, look what awaits you. Salvation isn't just eternal life as if the new creation is just a continuation of this life today with all of its ups and downs. It's a restoration of all things. It includes God's original plan for humanity to rule alongside. Men, God wants and intends for you to be a king, to establish his rule and his reign to the ends of the earth throughout all of creation. Women, God intends for you to be a queen, to establish his rule throughout all creation to the ends of the earth. This is our reward, not just to be underlings, but to be kings and queens in the new creation, to reign with Christ. Remember the promise of eternal reward. Paul gives us a third stanza. It's it's another promise, and yet it'd probably be appropriate to refer to it as a warning instead of, of the opposite. If we endure, we will reign, but if we do not endure, if we, if we deny him, what will happen? That's where we get to our third one. Remember the promise or the warning of denial. Verse 12, again, the second half, if we deny him, he also will deny us. Paul isn't saying anything new. He's quoting Jesus as Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is a promise. And it's a promise that should terrify us. If we do not endure, if we are not faithful to the end, if we deny the Lord Jesus, and and just in the context, we're going to see that this is a permanent denial, a permanent rejection of Jesus, then, then he will return the favor that he also will deny us. Do you see this contrast in verse 12? Verse 12, if we endure, we will reign, and if we deny, then he will deny us. If we turn our backs on Jesus, he will turn our backs, his back on us. To borrow a phrase from David Platt, this isn't so much 
radical to endure hardship for the gospel as much as it is just smart. Notice these promises and this warning that if we deny Christ, he also will deny us. We have a final promise in verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Because when I look at my life and the number of times that I am faithless, the number of times that I fail, it's too many to count. And it would be absolutely terrifying if this passage, if this him ended in verse 12 and just ended with, if you deny Jesus, then he's going to deny you as well. And left wondering, have I, have I denied him to the point of no return? But Paul doesn't end there. He ends with this charge to remember the one who keeps his promises. Remember Jesus, this one who keeps his promises, that when we fall short, that when we fail, when we are faithless, when we have the opportunity to speak up about the gospel and we decide to instead be silent, when we have the opportunity to invite someone to church, but we dodge the opportunity to avoid potential awkwardness or potential rejection, this verse is a refuge. That when we are faithless, Jesus remains faithful. And it's tied up in his very character that this is who he is. When we are faithless, Jesus will not return the favor. His faithfulness, his commitment to us is, is a part of his very nature. He could no more deny us in, in, in moments of, of unfaithfulness, and I say moments there, in moments of unfaithfulness than we could turn ourselves into a tree. Because he cannot deny himself. Jesus' faithfulness to us, his commitment to us, his, his promise endures even when we are faithless. Samuel Rutherford, he was a, a Scottish Presbyterian in the 1600s. I love the language he uses to describe this commitment that Jesus has to his people. He writes it this way, Often and often I have in my folly torn up my copy of God's covenant with me, but blessed be his name. He keeps it in heaven safe, and he stands by it always. All too often with my life, I take this promise that God has made to me, this covenant that God has made with me through the death of Jesus, and I just tear it to shreds, that I don't want anything to do with it, that I make it null and void with my actions, a thousand other things. And, and for Jesus, it would be so easy for me to think that Jesus is going to return the favor and say, all right, if you don't want anything to do with me, then I don't want anything to do with you either. Instead, Jesus keeps his promises because Jesus is faithful even when we are faithless. Remember Jesus. Remember this one who keeps his promises. Remember the power of the gospel because endurance 
comes through remembrance. By remembering what Jesus has done for us, by remembering who Jesus is. We live in the noisiest time in human history. There are thousands of voices each and every day vying for our attention, telling us what our priorities in life should be if we are going to endure to the end, if we are going to be faithful, shouldn't we at least give the king of all creation an equal voice? We've been going through uh, this take up and read plan for the last month and a half and we're working our way through Luke in the, bo- in the month of February. What an, oppor- what an opportunity to be intentional about remembering Jesus, to remembering the power of the gospel than by spending time in his word. Another thing that we can do, we can be intentional about praying, not just that God would be at work in our lives, but that God would give us eyes to see all of life through the lens of the gospel. That we truly would have lives transformed by the things that we study in that take up and read Bible reading plan. That we would repeatedly be praying, even just short prayers of God, help me to see how I can be faithful today, right now, in this moment. We remember Jesus by the power of of fellowship with other believers. I I love the way that the author of Hebrews is is writing to a church that is suffering, that is, is considering turning their backs on Jesus throwing in the towel. And in the midst of that, in Hebrews chapter 10, he stresses the importance of community with other believers, of fellowship with other people, because it is so hard to be faithful to the gospel when you do it on your own. Part of endurance by remembering is to do it with other believers. Remember the power of the gospel. Remember the promises of Jesus. And remember Jesus. This Jesus of whom it is written, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. Jesus, we rejoice at the incredible gift of your faithfulness. That you are a God who keeps his promises even when we do not keep ours. Thank you, God. Thank you for the power of the cross. Thank you for victory over sin and death and the resurrection. Help us to see all of life through these precious gifts. Help us to be a people who remember Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.